Welcome to episode 240 of the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast, where you always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. This is edition number 140 above on the Bat Flip, part two, or part deux, of our outfield preview, where Bub and I take a look at outfielders going ADP 16 through 30, and then we pick a couple of our favorites from 200 to 300 and 300 plus. We also answer some listener questions, including a really uh, interesting one about kind of aggregated projections, which I kind of go off on um, for a while, but um, hopefully uh, you find interesting. Anyways, hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bub and the Bat Flip, episode 144. Continuing our positional previews of the 2023 fantasy baseball season with the outfield part due going ADP 16 through 30 and some deeper options as usual to get you ready for the 2023 fantasy baseball season. You can find myself on Twitter at BD Entrick and my co-host is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? I'm um, doing pretty well, Bubba. Um, yeah, I, I remember the part, the part de. Yeah, we don't, we don't talk about part twos around here. No. Just the part dues. Um, but things are good. Things are good. We're getting closer to the season, you know, got five projection systems in my spreadsheet. Feeling great. They're updating on a regular basis. It's fantastic. So couldn't be, couldn't be happier. I've got, you know, like another week at the, er, at the, at the least before I start my drafts, I could start anytime in February and still align with my goals for the off season. So we'll see how I do once I get there. So it's coming. It's about to start happening. We're going to get some Toby draft thoughts here pretty soon, which will be fun because right now it's spreadsheets, getting it all figured out. But when the uh, rubber meets the road, it's about to get fun to see, uh, you know, when you get in the streets as the kids say. Hmm. So, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Maybe. I'm, I'm excited to test it all out. How's it? Was I don't know if it was, no, I don't think it was last week available yet. How are the projections looking now that you have all of your toys in play? And I'm referring to ATC now being involved with the Bad X and your steamer and all that stuff. How how are you starting to feel about your projections? Um, I'm feeling all right. You know, I think generally, generally feeling good with the process. My process is a little bit different. And there's a question about this later on. You know, I'm I'm actually weighing kind of the bat and steamer a little bit more um this year. Um yeah, and and trying to get more. I think in the in the past, I've really focused on the bat, steamer, and ATC, and I think I'm trying to integrate other ones. So right now, I have Baseball HQ projections in there, yeah. and then I also have um, I have Razball and Steamer, but I'm essentially weighing the bat forty percent, okay. Steamer and Razball twenty percent each because the Razball is That's based on Steamer. That's yeah, okay, with with some with some playing time and other adjustments. So kind of trying to do that. I think 
that's nice because I think it's good to get wisdom of the crowd on the plate appearances for sure. Hundred percent. Um, so I'm weighing those ones most heavily. And then I think like 10% baseball HQ and 10%, um, ATC at this point, I'm looking forward to having zips as well. I think there was a really interesting conversation, um, you know, just about, and again, we have a question on it, so I won't get too much into it, just about aggregating projections and what makes for kind of effective or, you know, maybe more helpful, uh, aggregations of different projection systems. So, um, and there's not one right answer, but it's, it's yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to digging into that more with you later in the show. Cause, um, with the GTE guys I'm, I'm working with, with Curlin and Jorge and Simeone, they've been, this is the first year they're going hard into the SGP and the projections and they're like doing their own models. It's pretty fun to watch them talk. Yeah. And it's been a lot of that kind of like, how do they weigh which projections? And like I introduced them kind of to the Razzball steamer combination. They didn't really realize was a combination. They thought it was Razzball. Well, no, it's based on kind of a combination with steamer and like oh so also you have to like weight things a little differently if you're using steamer already because you're already baking that in type so yeah we'll get into that a little later but it's it's a fun little puzzle uh one of the mini puzzles to playing fantasy baseball but uh like i think some people think you just put projections into a system and it's like blurts it out but you do a lot more than just plugging them in there's tinkering to kind of fit your I don't know, desired results but more like where you think it's going to work type thing so that's where it's kind of a fun situation yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it'll probably change, you know, yeah, there are interesting ways of thinking about how to, how to do it, I think. Uh, um, and I, I honestly haven't thought as much as I need to, but I think that's one of the things is kind of, we get closer to the system is kind of honing in on them and seeing where maybe my own ideas about a player disagree with the projections and understanding a little bit why that might be happening. And, you know, do you, even though the projection may not have a guy higher, do you still like him because of something that maybe you saw that the projection wasn't able to kind of attack? And then I think you also need to look at hitters and, and pitchers a little bit differently too. Because um, sometimes we can be better attuned to changes in in pitchers than the projections can. Totally agree. And we'll get to that later in the show. Looking forward to, uh, to talking about that. But let's get to some outfield talk here. We'll do ADP 16 through 30. I have them based uh, since January 1st is what I went off of. When I made the list, there was like 14 drafts completed. I think there's like 16 now, like 24 hours later. So we're still in a spot where I could probably shrink it a little more, but we'll just go off of this. If for some reason guys changed and we missed them last week, sorry, but this is kind of what we got here. So the 16th outfiller, according to ADP at this point in time, um, and you look at overall ADP of 58.75, is the Schwar bombs Kyle Schwarber, who last year 46 homers, 100 runs scored, 94 ribbies, 10 stolen bases, hit a whopping 218. But when you do all those other things with the OBP skills, you can kind of figure out batting average at another date and time. It's the highest I think I've ever seen him get drafted, though. So that's where it gets interesting, Toby. I'm really curious to hear what your system says because he's even projected to be a, a stud yet again. Like, like projection-wise, he feels like he's pretty darn good again. And as long as he stays healthy, it's a big if. He's going to hit towards the top of the Phillies order. He's going to crush. And that's a, a beautiful thing. So what do you think about Kyle Schwarber? Because I've been so torn on him in drafts right now. Yeah, I mean, I think Schwarber is really interesting. I mean, like He's the type of guy who, you know, yeah, was going a ways back last year and fell a little bit last year because of, you know, batting average and steals is what you were looking for. And he doesn't necessarily contribute as much 
in those, well, lo and behold, you know, with the 10 steals and the batting average still tanked, but home runs have become so much more important and so much more valuable. And so I think that's something that you just have to kind of work with in this landscape. Um, the projections actually like Schwarber, you know, about where he's going right now. I have him ranked as a fit, the 57th best player, you know, ADP of 62nd. So a little bit of a value, like nothing overwhelming, but, um, you know, I think the projections like a little bit of a boost in batting average closer to where his career average is, which makes sense. He had a career, well, not a career low, but for a full season, well, yeah, for a full yeah, season, a career you. low in BABIP, um, you know, the ground ball rate was way down, you know, which resulted in a lot more power. The line drive rate was also pretty low though, too. So that may be the reason why that BABIP is different than it will probably be this year. You know, a lot of the projection systems are looking at like anywhere from a 271 to a 257 BABIP. So the fly ball ways probably won't um, impact that, but you know, great plate discipline, really good team that he's on, obviously. So you can see some of the reasons why, um, yeah, why, why people are, why he's moved up so much, um, from last year. I think you still have to, you know, navigate a little bit, these waters of the batting average and, and steals. He could benefit a lot from the shift potentially, but you know, and I think people are probably factoring that into the equation too. Just given like that profile where he's going and how I attack drafts earlier, he's probably not going to show up on a ton of my teams, but um, you know, there's, there's, there's no problem with it as long as you kind of account for it later on in the drafts and you're okay with a little bit of a lack of balance in, in one of those, one of your first five picks. Yeah. That's why it's, it's an interesting team build because He's not going to, I don't think he'll have as bad a bag number as he had this past year, but it's not going to be elite by any means. So you, you got that in the play 10 home, 10 stolen bases. I don't foresee him stealing a ton of bases. I was just kind of a cool thing. You never know. But um, like you said, the, the shift, he might benefit a bit where he's such a high fly ball guy. Like those doesn't matter when he's shifting. But what's fun with him is like usually, I think he might be getting pushed up a little bit also because everyone's concerned about power so much in, in last year. Um, and I get it because I've been trying to attack, attack power early in drafts. And I'm curious, like I usually pass on them because around that point I'm taking starting pitchers. And I wonder if I started my draft differently, if I'd be good going there. Because I've, I've been trying to get like a Jordan or a Pete Alonzo or an Austin Riley or one of those big power bats early. That brings a better batting average, of course. But it, the main reason I'm going there is for power. So I'm wondering uh, team build-wise if I kind of shifted things around, went a little more starting pitcher earlier or something, if Schwarber would kind of fit the team build idea. So uh, I'll have to keep toying with that. It's kind of an interesting thing because I've never really looked at him because where he's going, it's, it's totally like an SP2 spot for me. And that's just how my builds have been going. But uh, if I if I change it up, he might actually fit what I'm looking at because, you know, there's always power as you go through the draft, but I don't think there's a guy that you're confident if he plays 150-plus games and getting you 40-plus home runs. That's like a pretty nice thing to be able to lock into your draft. So it be interesting to see how that one keeps keeps unfolding. The 17th outfielder off the board. And this is a fun one because you're either all in or all out. It feels like on Corbin Carroll right now, the Arizona Diamondbacks ADP of like 75. So you have between Schwarber and Carroll, it drops off like like 18 picks or so, 15, 16 picks. Uh, so you get, you get about a round or so between outfielders. And again, that could be the starting pitching situation. But Carroll made his debut last year, four homers, two steals in uh, 30, or in, uh, 
Yeah, 32 games, spent time throughout the minors. We've seen power and speed from him. Projected to be the everyday um, outfielder in Arizona. Projections only have him playing like 128 games, though. So if he's the everyday guy, this is one of those guys you kind of might change projections on, which could change your overall outlook on a guy, or you follow the projection. So this is kind of a fun one to toy with a little bit. But what's your thoughts on Corbin Carroll? Because I haven't been able to go all in on him, but I've talked to a few like guys that are D back that follow the D backs, and they're like, he's as legit as they come. They say. Yeah, um, I think one one thing that hates Corbin is the projections. Yep. Um, you know he's he's a negative seventy two on my spreadsheet, so his Ooh. ADP is seventy three, and he's ranked one forty five. Um, I have a little equation that I do where I just divide ADP by their rank to determine value, you know? So just like, you know, if a guy's ranked two and his ADP is four, you know, then he'll have a value of two. Anything above one is essentially a guy that's positive in terms of, you know, a comparison between ADP and the higher the number, the better. He's at a 0.5, which essentially means that like he's worth... I don't know, half of what he's going at right now, um, according to the projection systems. Now, you know, um, steamer is normally the highest on rookies. And steamer has him at 20 homers, 19 steals. Now, if that's what he ends up being, then I think he's much closer to where he's going in picks. It still has the batting average pretty low at 242, even at steamer. You know, bad X is a little bit higher on the batting averages as is ATC, you know, but they're a little softer on the power and, and the steals. So, you know, what are the positives is he's a top prospect. He's elite, you know, speed. He's got some pop. He's hit every single place that he's been. That is worth a lot. Um, some of the negatives I think you can see in just how he performed like he hit 260 with four homers and two steals and 115 plate appearances, which isn't, you know, a, tri- a, a terrible, right? But he struck out 27% of the time. You know, the contact rate re- was around league average, though, so maybe a little bit of luck there. The O swing was fine. Um, he did not hit the ball hard. He did not hit the ball well. He had a 333 Babbitt, but um, yeah, I'm not sure that's gonna gonna keep up with the batted ball quality that he had, just in terms of like 20% infield fly ball rate. You know, pretty high ball, ground ball rate. He did have a 20% home run per fly ball, but that seems high given, you know, just uh, that's like an elite number. That's like a Schwarbaum's type of number. You know, the max EV was just mediocre, 107.5 and 73 batted ball events, only a 5.5% barrel rate, so he had as many barrels as home runs. The D backs chase field is not a, a good hitting environment anymore. Not at all. Um, so I think it's just one of those questions where it's like, do you trust kind of the numbers and the projections or do you trust the scouting and the, you know, player development stuff, you know, and it's a little hard for me, but I tend not to think, I tend to think that you don't need to make this draft pick here. I think there are other players that provide a pretty similar profile. Yeah, I have not drafted Corbin Carroll, but it's like the people that love him, they obviously point to the uh, projections being completely wrong. They just fight they fight the projections. And like I could see it if like you projected him for 145 games, like another 
15 to 20 games. Maybe you get closer to 23, 24 homers and, you know, 18, 19 steals or something. Who knows? And then, and then it gets a little more interesting. But, um, like, some people think the ceiling's higher than that. I just don't see it yet. But uh, could be wrong. And it's, it's, it, we talk about where we take our risks. This is kind of early for risks still to me. We're talking top 100 pick. Still trying to get the, the base of my team put together. And Corbin Carroll probably won't be on the base of my teams right now. That's kind of the, the way that thing, the cookie crumbles, as they say. Uh, 17th outfielder, or, or yeah, 17th, 18th outfielder off the board, sorry, is one Eloy Jimenez, ADP 77. Very popular name all over fantasy baseball Twitter these days. Um, if he's healthy, we know he's great. Doesn't steal, but the power is pretty legit. Decent batting average, like we've seen it throughout his career. It's just a matter of staying healthy. We just hope he would DH because when he came back from the IL last year as a DH was amazing. But now the report's already coming out that he's working on playing in the outfield again. So who knows what's going to happen. He's healthy right now. I know that much. So um, I love Eloy Jimenez if you don't need steals. You just got to wonder, there's always that injury concern with that guy. What about you, Toby? Yeah, I don't I don't really like – I'm not really into Eloy this year. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are, and I'm not quite sure I fully understand it. Um, you know, the projection of my, and again, my projection, which is my own unique blend of everything, um, you know, doesn't really love Eloy 81st, uh, in ADP and, uh, 100 in terms of his ranking. And that's assuming that he hits like most of the projection systems do assuming that he gets to about 600 plate appearances, which it's been a while since he did that. He's actually never done that, um, in his career. Obviously, like you're injury prone until you aren't, but Mm -hmm. he's not necessarily the most athletic guy. Um, You know, 276 career batting average. Obviously, some of that is with injuries happening there. But and, and, you know, the power plays for sure in the middle of that lineup. I'm just not sure how much we can count on on that. Um, Yeah, I'm just I'm not I'm not totally sure how much we can count on both the health aspect of it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's just been so long since we saw it on a consistent basis from him. So it's a white Sox thing. This is, it's just the, 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 it's the white Sox thing. Tim Anderson, Lou Bob, Eloy, Eloy runs into the walls. Like that's why I just don't, don't play the outfield. Just DH. When he came back from his, his wall injury. He was, was healthy at DH the entire time. It was great. But um, yeah, we had not seen it yet. I'm willing to take a chance on him, but uh, I have not been like running to get him because a lot of people are very high on Eloy right now. So uh, he has not gotten on too many of my rosters. And that was when I thought he'd be the full-time DH because that was the original plan. And now that plan is already changing as the more you listen to things through White Sox blurbs as people are starting to show up to camp early. And it's uh, not what I wanted to hear. That's I didn't know that much. So we'll see how that keeps playing out throughout spring training. Uh, the 19th, Outfielder off the board going just a couple, like a half a pick behind Eloy Jimenez is Teoscar Hernandez. And this is a guy I usually take instead of Eloy Jimenez if I'm going in this range. Um, the power's there. There is a little bit of speed as well, which Eloy will not give you. Okay, batting average. Um, he actually came through pretty nicely last year after a horrific start to the season. Really got it going like in the second half if you kind of break things down. Um, going to Seattle, which we know is not the most ideal ballpark to hit in, especially leaving Toronto for Seattle. But it's a heck of a lineup still. That Seattle lineup is very, very good. So I, I still am a big fan of Teoscar Hernandez, and I think at this pick, 
I think it's a, it's a nice little discount from last year for sure. What about you? Yeah, um, I don't mind it. Like if I think about you know Eloy or Teoscar, I would probably lean Teoscar um, in this situation. You know, the projections agree a little bit. I mean, it's ninety one versus 100, but there's less than a dollar difference between the two of them. Teoscar struggled a little bit with injury last year, but he has been more consistent, you know, in terms of playing um, recently, although he too hasn't hit that 600 plate appearance mark. But, you know, the skills have been pretty consistent, you know, across the board. Like the one thing that kind of sticks up as an outlier is he's always been pretty good at getting, getting the ball in the air. And last year, I think probably due to those injuries, he had a high ground ball rate, 44%. His career is 39. So I think you see some regression there, which will help the power numbers. And the projections say that as well. You know, he ranges from 28 to 30 home runs. Um, when it comes to that, the plate discipline has been very consistent as well. You know, last year, 33% O swing, 32.4% for his career. You know, contact rate, 68%. 67.7 for his career. So he's still got similar skills. It's not as good of a hitting environment, but Safeco isn't terrible for T-Mobile isn't terrible for guys like T Oscar. Yeah. For, for homers, it's not yeah. terrible for homers. You know, I think he's not in as good of a lineup, but the lineup is, is, is okay. So I, I could see being interested in him because I don't necessarily think the chain, the skills have changed that significantly from his breakout year. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you know, him staying healthy again. Uh, so I would probably lean him over Eloy. I can see people leaning Eloy because of the batting average, but, um, you know, I'll take, I think I'll take probably, probably takes Teoscar. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's close. It's, it's, it's close, but I think the overall profile with T. Oscar um, in health-wise, like last year was hurt, yes, but long-term health-wise has been a lot better for T. Oscar. So we'll play that that angle for sure. 20th outfielder off the board. It's a, a fall from grace when it comes to drafting Starling Marte. Pick 82, um, 16 home runs last year, 18 stolen bases, hit 292. So the average is still great, which is what you expect. Power was kind of what we get. He's had a couple 20 home run seasons, but for the most part, he's a mid-teens guy. Stolen bases were down a bit. Um, it was still a good season. Only played in 118 games, though, because uh, he did battle injuries. Bright side is he's now a real big discount. This was a guy that, like, two years ago was almost making it in the first rounds in some drafts. Uh, that was, like, a, a headway. And then last year's probably second and third round in drafts. Now you're getting around pick 80, 85, somewhere in that range. Much more appealing to me, especially for if you, like, kind of took pitching early or if you're looking for later steals or a, a, a five – category contributor not an elite five category but five category contributor i don't think we're like done seeing this on starting market he's gonna be 34 which is never you know eventually things start slowing down but it hasn't for him yet so i still like starting Marte, especially at this price i don't know about you toby yeah I, I agree um i think the projections like him too they like him the most out of the three that we just discussed they actually like him pretty pretty close to uh kyle schwarber um schwarber is like 19 dollars and Marte is like 18. Um, but, you know, I think for Marte too, I think the one thing about that projection where you can see some upside is, you know, so that's with a projection of between 13 and 17 home runs and then 23 to 29 steals. And then with a batting average range of 267 to 274, 
Well, it's been a while since he hit that low. So yeah. if you believe the batting average should or could be higher, you know, then that is going to significantly increase that value too. So I think it's one of those scenarios where you ask yourself, well, if he were to do exactly what he's done in the last three full seasons, right? Where he had 505 plate appearances, 526, 586, you know, you'd take any of those three seasons and just say, Hey, I'll plug in a replacement uh, value guy for the other hundred to 150 plate appearances. And I think you're feeling pretty good. And so I think that's, what's kind of unique about his profile is you don't really need him to play a full season. You need to get him to get 500, maybe even 450 plate appearances to kind of reach where his ADP is going right now. I also think he's one of the, he's the type of guy that's going to shoot up a little bit as we get closer. He's further away from core surgery. We know he's going to play, you know, people become desperate for steals and batting average. And he's kind of a guy who provides both of those. So I do like Marte. I haven't, I know what I should start saying. I should say, I haven't drafted him yet. <laughs> um, you know, I'm zero for zero. I've drafted him in 0% of my drafts, but he could be one of those interesting guys, especially if you start off kind of hitting the way, the way you draft, it fits right into your mold. Yeah. Like if you, if you're starting off with pitchers, you know, and some catchers and some closers thrown in there too, you know, then you could start yourself off with Mr. I was going in the second or third round last year yep. um, with Marte. So, and I just point out, like, I think last year is a really good example of regression for steals guys. Um, where he had 47, which was like out of the blue, right? Two years ago. And everybody's like, ah, well, you know, even if you regress, even if you take away some, you know, he's in the thirties. Well, it's like, uh, well, instead he's at 18, um, you know? And so I think it's something where even if a guy shows that he has a skill and he does it, you still got to regress that. And I think it goes to a point that I've heard Jeff Zimmerman make a couple of times, which is, you know, um, with the new steel steel steals environment out there, it's like, don't forget to still bake in regression. Like regression is still a more powerful force than probably the rule changes will be. And I think that's important to note, not for Marte specifically, but just in general for guys who maybe had career highs last year in steals. No, this is kind of an off the outfield topic, but you talk about baking in regression. I just want to ask it uh, in general, because I have, I have an idea, but for someone like yourself that uses projections so much and, most projections are pretty cautious when they put out their numbers. They're not like aggressive most of the time. So are they baking in the regression for you or should you bake in more regression? Well, I mean, I think like, I think I would trust the projections, what they're spitting out, you know, so a range between 22 steals and 29. So let's just call it, you know, 25, 26 steals. Again, these are assuming around 600 plate appearances. Like, the lowest play appearance total is 563. You know, the next highest is, you know, or the highest is 601. So they're all kind of within that range. And I think if you look at that, I think expecting 25 or so seems like a very reasonable expectation for him. Whereas truly last year, you know, you should have been expecting a pretty similar return for like yeah. a guy who's just one year older and, had never really stolen at that rate before. Um, I mean, I guess in 2016 he did have 47 as well, but that's a long that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's a little different. But yeah, no, that's it. Marte is a very intriguing option where he's going. I agree, he will should get pushed up. Like he should be in the Corbin Carroll range at least. 
come come like the peak of draft season. So it'll be fun to see how that pans out. An outfielder going at pick, uh, ADP outfield 21 right behind Marte with an ADP of 84.1 compared to Marte's 82.1 is George Springer, who, again, injury-riddled guy, played 133 games, most he's played since 2018, 25 homers, 14 steals, which is the most he's had since 2015, hit 267, which is kind of in line with the norm for him. He's around 260, 270 without like a, a random odd year. And the projections have him on a very similar path this year. Similar amount of games, power, speed, um, nothing crazy. And we kind of – it's kind of who George Springer is now, which is a very quality guy at this ADP because, again, he's another guy who used to go way sooner. Um, so he he's another intriguing one for me in this range. What do you think about Springer, who I could see an argument for Springer versus T. Oscar and Eli at the same time? Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I think it's – a lot of these guys are so similar. You know, you yep. could see just waiting to see who – Falls. is kind of the last one standing there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for Springer, I don't know if I've ever drafted George Springer, honestly. Um, He's usually going so much higher. He is usually going a lot higher. I mean, I can totally see it. Hitting leadoff, you know, the batting average has been solid, you know, throughout the career, 269 career, you know, 267, 264, 265. You feel like you can kind of bake that in. The home run total has been really nice as well, like pretty much every season. So he's been very consistent, gotten the strikeout rate down. Although, you know, last year was a little bit of an anomaly. You know, his his contact rate was the lowest it's been in his career. And his strikeout rate was also, you know, one of the lower, the second lowest that it's been. So that's a little bit of a mirage there, I think. But as they usually do, the projections are pretty smart in kind of baking that in and they have him higher at at about a 19% um, strikeout rate. The one thing that I was seeing that's a you know, little bit of a concern, 35 barrels last year for an 8.3% barrel rate. That's his lowest since 2018. You know, dip and max exit below as well. So maybe that has to do with the injury. But, you know, he is a little bit older. Um, and, yeah. So... That's all to say, I think he's probably pretty fine. And I'm sure the projections think he's pretty fine as well. What is it? What do they have him as? Yeah, they have him. Yeah. Yeah. 84th, um, 84 ADP 70th rank. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean him, him. So like just kind of looking, one of the reasons why I have it is, you know, that value number that I mentioned, you know, Teoscar and Eloy are both under, so they're 0.86, 0.81, meaning they're not currently quote unquote values based on projection versus ADP. Whereas Marte is a 1.27, you know, and George Springer is a 1.2. So they're pretty similar, you know, um, in terms of value. And that's a nice, there's a nice little pocket um, at this point in the draft, I think, where you're getting some undervalued outfielders. Yep, most definitely, especially because pretty soon we're going to get to a point where outfielder starts to dry up a bit or it gets a little dicier, so it's a nice little pocket for sure to uh, maybe double-tap them real quick and get a couple pretty solid options uh, to, to go with your roster. The 22nd outfielder off the board with an ADP of 92.5 is Brian Reynolds. This is an interesting one, 27 homers, 7 steals last year, hit 262, so the average was down, power was up a bit, um, counting stats were down, pirates weren't great. But, uh, you know, there's rumbles of a potential uh, trade, which you never know, could help the value, obviously, with with the Brian Reynolds. There's a lot to be determined in that regards. But 
again, if you just look at projections, this is a similar profile to the guys we've been talking about, but he's going even later than these guys. So Reynolds is a guy I don't have any shares of anywhere so far. I don't know why. I just don't. Um, what are your thoughts on Brian Reynolds, who I just can't get a good pulse on, I guess? Yeah, I like Reynolds a lot. Um, I think the batting average, like you mentioned before, um, you know, he's kind of a stud there. 281 career batting average, you know, a little bit lower last year at the 262. He did have an increase in strikeout rate, um, which uh, also aligned with a drop in contact rate. So just something to consider. His plate discipline was also the worst that it's been. Um, so that's something, but, um, and his home run per fly ball was the highest that it's been as well. 27 home runs on 32 barrels. So, you know, there's like a little skepticism there, but I just think that profile is so solid. Like the batting average, you know, is there, it's going to be good. It's got a chance to be elite. Um, if everything kind of clicks for him, the counting stats, a little bit of a question mark just because of, of the context that he's playing in. But like you mentioned, there is the possibility he gets traded. But I think he provides that home runs. He provides a little bit of that speed. And I think that's really nice coupled with that batting average there. And like I mentioned, he he's in a like a little pocket of some nice um, values uh, here for uh, outfielders where he's 74 and ADP, or he's ranked 74th in my um, sheet. And he's 90, he's going 93rd right now with ADP. So, you know, Again, three outfielders going all together, Marte, Springer, Reynolds, all with uh, one of the that value rating I mentioned of 1.2 or higher. Uh, Reynolds is second at 1.25. So nice little nice little uh, area here, I think, where you can target an outfielder and, and pick up some um, a guy who may be a little bit undervalued. Very nice. Now the next one, the 23rd outfielder is MJ Melendez. We talked about him at catcher. You're not really drafting him to play the outfield. Um, Absolutely gonna... draft him to play outfield, please. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to pass on MJ. We talked about him like a month and a half ago at the catcher's position. We'll, we'll recap him again here pretty soon. But we'll go to the 24th outfielder off the board. This is a fun one, digging in throughout the offseason here. It's Tyler O'Neill, ADP of 107. And now two years ago, 34 homers, 15 ribbies, 286. We all knew, or we all suspected, it's going to be tough to redo that. It's also tough to redo that when you only play in 96 games. But 14 homers, 14 steals in those 96 games. The average dropped to 228. He's better than that, though. So it's like an in-between thing. And that's what makes this fun. So we've talked about a lot of guys here lately, 20 to 25 homers, you know, 8 to 14 steals range. Tyler Neal could do that and some potentially. Just doesn't have the average those guys bring to the table that you talked about earlier. So this is a this is a fun kind of floor ceiling play compared to the guys you talked about. So I'm in the more I've looked into Tyler O'Neill, the more I'm interested in him and his ADP of 107. Um, how are you uh, looking into Tyler O'Neill? Yeah, he's really interesting. I mean, he had a god awful season. You know, it couldn't have gone worse last year, and he still was 14 14. You know, for home runs and steals, and it's not like you were just drawing blanks on that. You know, additional 200 plus plate appearances that you missed on. So. You know, while while he was certainly disappointing, I think you still see the signs there of a guy who can contribute significantly. And the projections are in, in pretty pretty consistent alignment, you know, in terms of where they feel like he should be, you know, somewhere in the 240s batting average-wise, 25 home runs and 15 steals, essentially, is what it all kind of boils down to. And so he be, comes in at another guy who's providing some value, 103 
uh, ADP and then a 94 rank. So, you know, not as good as some of those guys going before him. You know, I think there's obviously the consistency issues with him, but he's really good defensively, which I think keeps him in the lineup, you know, even when he does struggle a little bit. Um, if there's one guy who really needs the yoga narrative, you know, yes. who really needs to start 100%. doing yoga with Aaron Judge and um, Giancarlo Stanton, it is definitely Tyler O'Neill. And I was reading an article recently where they were saying like he's he's going in like a do, new direction for his workout routine. Yep. But it was like talking about plyometrics. And I was like, I don't want to hear about things I don't even know what they mean. I want to hear about yoga. Yeah. Four-letter right? word. We want a four-letter word that starts with Y. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this might contribute to the yoga narrative, but I have never really done yoga before in my life. Like I've done stretching. I've done things like that. And I did yoga for the first time um, in December. And it really changed my life. I haven't done it since. <laughs> changed it that much. But I mean, well, actually, I don't know. I do some, some, some yoga-related stretching. But, you know, it's so rare that we concentrate yeah. our minds and our breathing and our bodies um, in alignment. And so... Um, as a result of that, I've started, I've started cooking more. Um, yeah. So anyways, that was, that's my yoga narrative. Uh, you should all go out, go out there and get a yoga narrative too. It's good. It's good. Stretching, yoga, stretching, whatever you prefer. It's very good. Trust me. Especially the older you get very important. So go (laughs) ahead, go ahead and do that. Um, the, 25th outfielder off the board. Another guy that had a weird season. Started out really, really good and disappeared for a bit. Got it going a little late. But overall, Seiya Suzuki, who has an ADP of 109, uh, 14 homers, 9 steals at 262. Not bad for his first run. He's better than that, though. He showed signs where he's a much better player than that. So he's another guy where it's like, and even the projections agree he's better than that. When you look at it, he feels like another, like, there's. this is a range from, like, 75 to we're still going of outfielders that you could see bringing you a nice floor with tons of upside if things start to click for these guys and say is definitely one of those guys for me so i like him a lot at this adp i don't know about you yeah i i like suzuki a lot too um excuse me bless you the sneezing uh narrative uh i like suzuki a lot too um, he's a guy where, where kind of my own assessment differs a little bit where, with where the projections feel like he should be. Cause his projection is at 121st ranked and ranked and he's 111th, um, right now in ADP. So he's a negative 11, um, point, point 0.91 value. So not, not a value or, you know, whatever perceived value um, player, but I really like him a lot. And the reasons I like him, he's got a great plate discipline, 25.6. So he's going to get on base. He's going to be able to score some runs. The contact rate is really good. Um, it's much higher than league average overall at 79.5% and higher than league average in the zone at 88.9%. Um, as well, he's got speed, you know, the nine steals and 446 plate appearances. He's got a little pop. You know, he had 32 barrels last year and only 14 homers. So, you know, was that a little bit of bad luck? Was it a little bit of him going to center and oppo a little bit too much? Is it a little bit of Wrigley Field, which actually isn't a great home run park? Is it just, you know, him being unlucky? 
I think the projection systems see him being a little bit unlucky, but I think the question is, is he the 25 and nine guy that steamer sees him at, or is he more of the kind of 20 Homer, uh, nine steel guy that, that most of the other projection systems see him as. And I think I want to dive in a little bit more cause I know he finished on a high streak. You know, he's barreling the ball at a really nice rate, 11%. He does have that great plate discipline, those great contact skills. He puts the ball in the air higher than league average amount as well. You know, the K rate seems a little high for the contact rate. Um, maybe he was, maybe it's the CSW, you know, maybe that's, um, it was 31.3%. So he's taking a lot of pitches. Um, and so I just wonder if, I just wonder if maybe he's the type of player that's worth a little bit of a, of a risk. So yeah, he needs to be a little bit more aggressive. So his, his in zone swing percentage last year was 57.4% and league average is 69.1%. So his problem, why the strikeout rate was higher, um, was he was not being nearly as aggressive. And so there's potential for a little bit of growth there, maybe if he is. So do you side with kind of the projections and where they have him going? Or do you just isolate Steamer and say, oh, he's going to hit 25 home runs and steal nine bases? I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's tricky worth discussing. It's definitely worth discussing, I guess. Uh, you said and I said is, I think there's so much more to what we saw last year and the projections that we said give them more, but I think there might be more than that. And that's why it's really interesting with Seiya Suzuki. And, uh, you know, trying to imagine what a guy will do is probably not the best way to draft an entire team. But every once in a while when you get a pick after post 100, you can start doing things like that. It makes it fun. The 26th outfielder off the board at a wonderful, wonderful ADP of 112 is the 29-year-old. Yes, just turned 29. Crazy to think about to me. Byron Buxton. Man, oh man, what could be if he ever stayed healthy? And projections have him playing like 130 games, which would be the second most of his career. And only the second time he's been over 100 games in his career, which would be crazy to think about. Um, and if he did that, he'd be worth every penny of this draft pick. But Toby, I don't know about you. I can't trust that at all, which is terrifying because it's true. If he played that many games, the dude is a second round pick, maybe first round even. Like if he, if he got to 140 plus games, he's done it one time and that's the struggle. So I'm out on Buxton. It sucks to say, um, you know, they say everyone has a price. I just don't know what his price is for me. So what about you? Yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to go back to that. Well, you know, I picked him up. I picked him up last year and, you know, it got burned a little bit. I mean, he did hit the 28 bombs, which was huge, but, um, and it's not like that's that out of the ordinary for him. But I think with that increased power is also coming a very low BABIPs, you know, um, like, or, I mean, just a lot of variance in his BABIP, honestly, but, you know, 244, 344, 241, 314, 226, you know, some small samples in there, but, um, it's just hard without being able to bank on something other than the power. You know, he seems pretty one dimensional now. I don't think he's going to really help you in batting average. All of the projections are in agreement with that. You know, the steals, God knows what they're going to do with him, yeah. you know, um, on that front. And so I'm just not sure he contributes enough in enough categories to at this with the health to, to be able to do that. Um, to go there. So I'm, I'm, I'll stay, I'll stay away, even though, 
he's a great value according to pro the projections, but as you mentioned, there may be a little bit of a flaw yeah. in that. In 130 that game projected. It's like we haven't. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, if he played 130, yes, we all agree he'd be of value at that point. So it's a it's a little tricky to say the least. Yeah. Um, 27th outfielder off the board. One Jake McCarthy of the D-backs, ADP of 116.5, came uh, off the waiver wires last year and helped uh, people dominate their leagues with 23 stolen bases in 99 games, even hit eight home runs, hit 283. Saw throughout the minors, he showcased a little power with some speed. Uh, so it wasn't completely out of the ordinary for him. It was kind of a surprise to many of us that it happened. And, you know, he should play every day for the D-backs this year and Projections have him for, you know, 10 to 12 homers and 25 to 30 stolen bases. So are you uh, – this, this, I guess what I'm saying is this could be one of those guys if you're kind of lacking steals without waiting too long in the draft, this could be a nice guy to target. But uh, what do you think about Jake McCarthy? Yeah. Um, the projections certainly think so. Um, you know, they have McCarthy as the 79th best player. He's going 122 right now. Um, so that's a 43 pick difference between his, you know, projection right now and what, um, and where he's going in drafts. So, but I think, you know, I think people are nervous about the playing time, you know, a little bit of a crowded outfield in, um, Arizona. I don't think McCarthy is, you know, kind of young enough to constitute a, a like superstar prospect. So a little bit of surprise, I think in terms of how successful he was. The batting average is a little bit elevated. I think the projections account for that. You know, the power, um, he had eight home runs. He had 12 barrels. So not anything ex extreme, but I think good enough. Um, makes a decent amount of contact, you know, right around league average. So I think there's a little bit of give from what he did, you know, last year. A lot of the projection systems bake that in. I think the speed is going to be the, is the carrying trait, you know, and I think we'll determine whether it's a successful pick or not, but I do, I do like him going right here. Um, you know, we talked about kind of that group of undervalued outfielders. Um, and he is in a little group of them, another group of them right here, um, as well. So I do like McCarthy, um, you know, a decent amount. And I think, I think he's a, he's well-rounded. He's, he's balanced, which I think is nice. Yeah, he's definitely growing on me throughout this draft season um, as I dig on him more and more and realize he is going to play every single day and potentially hit towards the top of that order in Arizona, which not the greatest team, but definitely serviceable for fantasy purposes. Uh, the 28th outfielder off the board at ADP 121 is Stephen Kwan. This is a guy that's really started to um, grow on me this offseason. Six homers, 19 steals, 298 last year. I think the projections are low on him, to be honest. A few games too low and just overall numbers too low. Um, just because if you look at his second-half numbers, he really started to improve quite a bit, which was great to see. I think that's something that can translate into this season. And uh, Ryan Roof was on my Cleveland Guardians preview show, and he mentioned some very intriguing things about Stephen Kwan that um, – Without the shift last year, um, he hit like 360. With the shift on, he hit like 270. So that's a gigantic difference because now if you got a guy that can hit closer to 300, we're talking 100 runs scored potentially. Um, there, there's a lot of things that factor. Obviously, chances for more steals. I don't think the power is going to be anything crazy, but I think there's a lot more to like than the projections say, and I'm very interested in Stephen Kwan. 
I don't know if you're going to agree with that, but what do you have? To, what are your thoughts on Stephen Kwan? Um, yeah, I'm just kind of taking a look a little bit here. Um, sorry, I got I, I went down a, a rolling graph uh, a rolling graph rabbit hole there. Just another um, evening for Kobe. Yeah. Uh, yes. Exactly. Um. Yeah. I mean, he's such an interesting profile. He's so different than most other players. I think it's challenging to grab him here. I mean, the batting average, I think should be, I think the bat, the projections are a little low on him from a batting perspective, you know, just cause he makes such elite contact. Yes. Um, you know, the power really is non-existent no, though. I mean, power you know, sucks. Yeah. The power sucks. I don't think steamers on it with 11 home runs. I mean, he had six home runs, but seven barrels, you know, so really relying on, on pulling the ball in Cleveland where it's a left-handed handed hitters dream, but he does play excellent defense. So I don't think he's going to like lose playing time or anything like that. But, you know, we also said the same thing about Miles Straw, who had not the same profile by any stretch of the imagination, but something similar. Um, so I don't think I could go there. I just don't know if there's enough other things that he provides. But I could certainly see where a team that's lacking in batting average and a little bit of speed um, could could turn his direction. Yeah. The projections hate him. Yeah, the projections um, don't but like as you all. mentioned, you know, yeah, there, he's... He's going one ADP of one sixteen on my sheet, and he's at one fifty seven in terms of ranking. But again, I think this is a question of whether you agree with the projections or or not on him. Yeah, and that's why it's fun because there's always a handful of projections where it's like that doesn't make any sense, and that that's one of them for me. I remember last year one that sticks out. We we talked about it a time like Dalton Varsho. It's like he's going to play more than ninety games. Like let's let's fix this. There's always a few that just kind of it is what it is, and then it's up to you to decide what you want to do with it. That's the process. If you read the process by Jeff Zimmerman, they talk about that, so you can kind of tweak it if you feel free, but just make sure you know what you're tweaking for and why. Uh, the 29th outfielder off the board at ADP 127 is Taylor Ward, Los Angeles Angels. 23 homers, 5 steals, 281 average. Phenomenal start to the season and it's kind of limped to the finish line. It felt like, like, literally was almost not even worth starting on fantasy weeks to weeks towards the end of the season. What's your thoughts on Taylor? Like, he can go full Jared Walsh, don't get me wrong. But um, what are your thoughts on Taylor Ward, who the end stat line is still very, very good, but there were... Uh, Definitely letdowns at times towards the end. Yeah. Um, I want to say I like Taylor Ward. Um, then say it. Then say it. I think I like Taylor <laughs> Ward. Um, he is a value on the spreadsheet. Not that much, but like 129 is his ADP. 113 is the rank. 1.14. I think he's a unique combination of plate discipline. Very low O-swing, 23.6%, which again, like isn't always a good thing. But the contact rate is elite at 80%. Um, and then he was also able to barrel the ball up 46 barrels last year at 12.1%. Um, you know, and he's going to be in a really good lineup. I think they like him a lot. Um, so I think he's a guy that can provide that batting average and that power. And I think that's pretty consistent. And I think, didn't he crush it at the end of the se last season? 
Like I think uh, it was. Um, he started out on fire. I feel like he disappeared, but maybe I'm wrong. He disappeared for a while, but I think he, yeah, he had a 174 WRC plus in September. There you go. He was really bad, so he went 257, 194 for his WRC That's what plus. It was. And then 77, 71, 86. Oh, yeah, now I'm looking at September numbers. He did have a big September. Yes, I, I stand yeah. corrected. Very big September. The power really dried up. But, yeah. I mean, I don't know why that is. Maybe it was, maybe there was an injury in there middle of the season. I don't know. But he was really crushing it towards the end. So I think he's a really intriguing, I think he's a really intriguing pick. I like I like Taylor Ward here. I, I can get behind Taylor Ward. Yeah, no, that's understandable, especially a little bit of power, or a lot of power, a little bit of speed. So definitely, like, he's almost like a, a mini Eloy, if that's what you want. So it's it's an interesting. Ooh, I like that. I like that. A big, big ADP difference. There's a lot of similarities in that stat line. So um, we can get him a lot later. That's the fun part about looking at ADP and trying to figure things out. Um, the 30th outfielder off the board at ADP 128 is Christian Yelich. I think everyone's finally gotten past the MVP years of Yelich and has realized, at least I have, and I know we talked about it on Bubba and the Bloom a few times. He's, he's shown up on a few different Bloom boards already. This is who Yelich is. He's like a you know 13 to 16, 17 home run guy. Might get you 15 to 20 steals. Great OBP. Hit for a decent average. Nothing crazy. And score a ton of runs at the top of the Brewers lineup. That's who he is. Like, uh, if you look at his the, the the best way I I kind of came to that conclusion is, you look at his quality of contact last year, eight point two percent barrel, forty eight percent hard hit. If you look at his year before that, seven point six, forty eight point four. If you go before the MVP years, set in two thousand seventeen, six point one forty five, nine point two forty nine. Similar stat lines. That's who he is now. He's this like good guy, not this MVP guy. And I have no problem with that at this ADP. We're not, you know, paying these premiums. We're not paying top 100 picks. You're getting like a 15-15 with a little bit of upside and legit could score 100 runs in Milwaukee. So I think this is, a, to me, a really nice floor profile with a little bit of a ceiling. So I like Christian Yelich in this spot. I'm starting to, like, buy into him more because um, it's not as risky. The back's still a concern. Not going to deny that. But um, we've seen it for a couple of years now. So I like Yelich. What do you got on him? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much like identical to to Ward in terms of like, you know, a little slight value. Um, he's he's interesting. I mean, Yelich is very interesting. I think what you said captures it perfectly just in terms of like the player he is now. And I think we need to kind of embrace that, you know, extreme ground ball guy again, yeah. uh, you know. Um, Maybe the shift helps him. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I was actually thinking about is that could be something where, yeah, like with the shift, there could be, there could definitely be maybe some benefit here just because he's so extreme, you know, and if you can get that batting average up, you know, not to, you know, the 329, 326 of his MVP years, but like to that 298, you know, that 282, that 284 where he was before, you know, while contributing, you know, 15 homers, 20 steals and getting on base a ton and scoring a lot of runs, you know, that's a, that's a pretty nice profile going at this point in the draft, I think. And so I am, um, yeah, I mean, and it's also like 14 home runs on 34 barrels, you know, um, that's definitely a pretty, that's a pretty low rate right there. So I can see it. I could see being interested in him there. This is another little pocket here with Ward, Yelich and McCarthy. 
Um, and to a lesser extent, say a Suzuki, you know, with Suzuki, it may be a situation where if he falls in the draft, you know, like that, I, that I'm fine kind of scooping him up. If maybe he goes a little bit below ADP or if some of the guys going ahead of him go, but, um, you know, I could definitely see interest in Yelich and he's going to play every day, you know, like there's not really a concern about that. And, um, I think that that's beneficial. I think the Brewers are going to be a terrible offensively. Um, that's one of the challenges, but you do, you really think they're going to be bad, huh? Yeah. Wow, that's a fun, uh, interesting take right there. Okay, interesting. The Brewers as uh, offensively? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Who do they yeah. have? Who's their yeah. cleanup hitter? Brian Anderson? Rowdy Telez. Get off of him. I mean, Yelich, Adamas, Telez, We're gonna do this, Contreras, we? Winker, yep. William. Urias, Mitchell, nice. Taylor, Bryce Terang. Yep. In the NL Central, that's a great offense. That's yeah. very top heavy. But I wish them the best of luck. You did promote Tyrone Taylor last week, so you might want to change your tune, friend. I mean, that's because <laughs> where he's going. Like, I mean, I'm kidding. I'm may kidding. the odds be ever in your favor for this offensive team. I like him. I like him. I'm a Brewers fan in regards to especially their ADP. You can get a bunch of them at, at this. Uh, like 100 to 300 range, which is, as we've uh, learned from the Royals, Bubba, a yep. good fantasy offense does not a, or a, a, an offense with a number of fantasy relevant players does not, not make, real life. does not make a good offense in real life. hundred yeah. percent. And maybe, maybe that's where we're, maybe we both agree on this. We're just talking about it differently. Um, all right, let's talk about some uh, deeper targets here. We'll each, like last week, pick two from ADP 200 to 300, and then we'll do two from 300 uh, back. So I'll give you the floor. Who is your first one from 200 to 300? Yeah, I'm going to go here. I don't love this range. I was like, I picked no. like a couple guys uh, last week, and I was like, dude, I have to pick a couple more from this range here. Um, I'm going to go with Jorge Soler. Um, ADP, at least on my spreadsheet of 288, he's ranked as the 255th best player. You know, that's a 1.13 on the value meter, if you will. Um, you know, the batting average is a little bit of a concern, but uh, the power is legit. I think it's a matter of health for Solaire. And last year was really, you know, it was the first time in three years that he struggled with injuries. He was in a new place. I think the expectations are low now for him. Um, he had last year... You know, 22 barrels, only 13 homers. I think mid-20s homers is a perfectly reasonable expectation. And I think if he can pull that off, I mean, as long as he's got a reasonable batting average, you know, you're going to generate some value from that. And, and I always think there's the possibility that he takes it, you know, kind of next level. Most of the projection systems have him between 550 and you know, 480 plate appearances. I think he probably plays every day. I think he's the only real masher in that lineup. Um, and, you know, he's going to be kind of etched into that DH role. And I think he can run with it as long as he's healthy. I think that he has a little bit of a point to prove um, after getting the contract. So I, I see him playing every day. And I think if he does that, he'll be, he'll be golden. Yeah, it could be a nice little bounce back for sure. Uh, yes, this range is not ideal. That's why I think the guys we just talked about might be worth grabbing a few or going later. Um, but I just had to give a shout out because he's got a full-time job now, it looks like, at least mostly full-time job. That's Trey Boo Boo. So Trey Mancini, 
uh, ADP around 278 right now. Going to be the DH most likely in Chicago with chances to play maybe some first base, a little bit of outfield, but should get out there 140 so games. Eight, you know, projections have him for 138. He's played over 140 in six straight seasons or two or five straight seasons. Um, he's put up over 20 home runs in four of the five. I don't see how he doesn't get 20 plus again unless Wrigley's just really bad for him. Hit you 250. Like he's just a solid stat line, no speed, but you can get 20 and 250 and maybe 70 and 70 at 278. I'm a fan of that. Um, and that's very doable if he does play 140 plus games. So, um, and again, just later, later options. I, I like some Trey Boo Boo. Um, things, you know, there are some declining things that are kind of not the most comforting, but overall, as you know, his quality of contact, his barrel rates, his hard hit rates, you know, max EV was down a bit compared to what you're used to last year, but the barrel rates and the, and the hard hit rates are similar to what we've seen over the last five years. And that, that leads me pretty comfortable to another, you know, like I said, 20 homer plus season with 250 in them. I'll take that with Trey Boo Boo. Um, who is your second one? Next one I'm going to go with, and this guy's a little bit of a shot, shot in the dark, but I think he's one of these, you know, last week, uh, Jenny Butler asked about like the kind of profiles you're targeting load later on in drafts. And there's a few different ones, but I think if you're going for like that, um, you know, high reward, high risk player, but at a lower ADP, I think you could do a lot worse than Jose Siri. He's, uh, pick going around pick 300 right now. Um, he's 262 ranked in my spreadsheet. That's a 32 ADP difference at 1.12. Obviously some concerns about him, um, being platooned, you know, which you can see in his projections, which range from 450 to 500 plate appearances. But with that, you know, 450 to 500 plate appearances, you know, the projections have him at about 15 homers, you know, 15 to 18 steals in that, you know, short amount of time. And so you can kind of see the upside there. That projection has him, you know, rated as the 200 and um, whatever I said, 262nd best player. If he he's, he's elite defensively. So, you know, there's, there's some competition there with Margot and with other folks, but I think defensively he's the best center fielder they have. And so if he can hit a little bit, then I think he can um, cut out some playing time for himself there. And I think that might be, that might make him a, a valuable guy to have. And, and players with his profile can go on some runs that can bring you some pretty uh, nice value over a short little run. So I like, I like, I like Siri. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting one. I could see both, uh, Ceiling and floor being quite a, quite a gap with that guy, but there is definitely some some talent there. Um, another guy with a massive gap is uh, Estuary Ruiz, who I'm going to put put out here just because again range isn't the greatest, and this is a fun a fun option. You know, ADP around two thirty eight, and um, he's projected to hit ninth for the A's, but that doesn't bother me as much as the projections have him for like one hundred and two games. At least ATC's got one twenty three, but the project his overall stats are the same, so that made no sense to me at all. Um, I think the A's have no reason not to play this guy. Like he has to be really, really bad in my mind to not play. So I would think you're seeing more like 130, 140. Because right now, if you look at the roster, who's taking his job? Christian Pache. Like if 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 that's what they're gonna do, then just you shouldn't have traded for Ruiz. Like go see what the kid has. Stole almost 90 bases last year in the minors. Um, you know he hit 171 in a short stint in the bigs, but 
throughout the minors, he was a get 250 ish, 240, 250 hitter. If he can do that in the bigs, 240, 250, never a big strikeout guy. So that that's big. And that translated last year, still 19.4% K rate in his, his short time in the bigs. So that's promising. Walked a lot more in the minors than he did in his little sample. He can walk more, which is obviously great for the Steels game because he was like an over 400 OBP guy a lot of the time in the minors, which would be electric with his speed. Um, we're talking massive steals, massive steals for Mr. Ruiz. This is a big ifs and whats and buts and, you know, whatever. But uh, I just think this is one of the projections I playing time-wise. You know, overall production, we'll see. But I think he plays a lot more than 102 games for the A's unless he's just horrific. And at that point, you're dropping him anyways. So an ADP of 238, I'm intrigued with the uh, the the upside of the ceiling that Estuary Ruiz could bring to the table. And I'd be willing to take a chance in certain leagues based on your early draft status. That's about it. Um, yeah, he's a good example of how um, projections can change pretty dramatically based on playing time. I remember we talked about him a few weeks back, and I was saying how much the projection systems liked him. And at the time, it was limited to just steamer. And now that it's baked in all the other projections, it's like, ah, we don't like him as much. Um, yeah. So it's interesting just to see from from kind of a one month to the next how dramatic of a shift there can be um, in the way a player is showing up as a value or not. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun seeing all the pieces of the puzzle get put together. Uh, ADP 300 plus, who is your first player? Yeah, this is kind of a throwback to last year. And um, I didn't mean to just choose Marlins, but... Um, I'm going to go with Avi Garcia, who I liked a lot last year. Um, he is an ADP of 328. His projection is 221st. So he's a significant value, almost 1.5, 1.48. Um, you know, like if you liked Avi Garcia last year, it's hard to see what has changed all that much. You know, obviously having a horrific season, being injured, not really seeming like you're showing up in the shape that you need to is one thing, but, um, you know, if he can stay healthy, I think there's power. There's a little bit of speed there as well. There's the batting average. And so I think there's a lot of potential there for return. So I do like, um, him quite a bit. Um, Avi Garcia as a late, late outfield shot. I don't hate it at all. Uh, my first one, I'm gonna say Drew Waters. This one is a little more appealing to me now with the trade of Michael Taylor. To Minnesota, I think uh, with Waters, and you could even do Edward Olivares if you wanted to as well. Um, Waters is locked in, at least for the most part, as the center fielder now for the Royals, which might not have been the case so much. And he's got an ADP of 431, as high as 369. So I think that's going to keep rising. But yeah, I came over and I traded from Atlanta last year. Has showcased a little bit of power, maybe like 10-ish home runs on a full season, but a lot of speed. He can get you 20-plus steals. Um, a profile that feels a lot like – Stephen Quan-esque, kind of, without the the, the maybe the elite batting average. Like in the minors, he hit around 300, but you know maybe he hits 250, 260. You're getting him 200, 300 picks later than Stephen Quan. But um, I like the power, the speed you get there. Maybe the OBP skills improve, but it's another one of those projections. You know, the bats got him for 81 games. Shoot him out there to 130, like, and you're maybe like I said, you're talking 11 home runs, 15, 16 steals, and becomes a lot more interesting in ADP of 431. In your, especially in DCs, a guy that should play a lot, which is what you're looking for late in DC. So, Drew Waters would be a guy I could see moving up a bit. Plus, he's he's got a little bit of a prospect pedigree, so we might not even have seen the true talent yet in the bigs. So, there, it could be even a little bit better. We'll see. But uh, and 
you put him in that roster. We just thought you just mentioned how, you know, good for fantasy, maybe not for real life. He's rejected to hit ninth. That wraps around all those big hitters. He could score a ton of runs too. So could be interesting with Drew Waters. Who's your next one? My next one is um, Enrique Hernandez, Kike Hernandez. Um, he is going at pick 380 currently, and he is 322nd in the good old spreadsheet right now, which makes him a really nice um, value there. I think right now he's penciled in to play second to play shortstop. So he should get that dual position eligibility um, where he's going to hit in the lineup, you know, is a little bit unclear. I think Yoshida looks like he's going to be the, you know, at least he's got the OBP skills to be at the top of that lineup. Roster resource has him currently penciled in as number two, but I'm a little skeptical of that. But either way, he should play every day. You know, he's got a little bit of pop. We know that from last year. He got unlucky from a home run perspective. Um, oh, did I move off? Uh, yeah, I went to roster resource page. I think he had, what do you have, 17 barrels last year and six home runs, I think, after hitting 20 home runs the year before. Yeah, 17 barrels um, and just six home runs. So a little lack of fortune um, on that on that end. So I think, you know, if he's batting it towards the front end of the lineup, then I think, you know, there's even more of the value there, but even if he isn't, you know, at his 550 or so play period, played appearance projection, he's, you're still looking at a guy who, you know, I think should play every day for a Red Sox team that while not as good as it has been in the past does have, you know, a little bit of talent. Yeah. I'm going to stick with Boston on this one, their new center fielder, which makes me laugh every time I think about it. Adam Duvall, ADP of 481, as high as 376 since the first. But the thing with Duvall, we know it's a power thing with him. You know, the average has never been real great. But, um, like, I've talked to Shelly V, uh, previewing the Red Sox a couple days ago. You look at all the other reports that are coming out. They want Duvall in center field to play nearly every day. So it's one of those, like, wow. When we've seen him play 130-plus games, he's hit over 30 home runs in three of the four seasons he's done that. Driven, driven in 99 or more in three of the four. Um, I'm not saying he's going to do all that, but we're talking 25, 2025 home runs. Seems realistic with some runs in RBIs and maybe hits 240, 250 if you're getting lucky. Um, I think at the ADP that he's bringing you, it's a nice late round power source with some uh, counting stats. Like maybe he gets you a combined 160 runs in RBIs. That would be really nice coming that late in the in the draft. So a guy like Adam Duvall is interesting to me. I think it's crazy to have him as their starting center fielder, but they're dead set on that. Um, even though they traded for Adalberto Mondesi, who now the reports are he's not even going to be ready for opening day, which is even more comical. So um, that really doesn't change the landscape of much. So, yeah, Duvall is going to start the season in center field and play as much as he can. So I'll take that at ADP of 481. All right, listener questions. Let's got a couple here to uh, to peruse through. And we kind of hinted at one earlier, uh, Toby, and it comes from our buddy Little Book of Calm. Let me pull it up here. Um, regarding homebrew projections, aggregations in Excel, kind of like what you and others do, of course, is making a blend of ATC, BAT, Steamer, really just a worse version of ATC? He asked that because ATC is kind of an accumulation of different uh, projections, which already accounts for awaited, awaits those projects internally. Is there a benefit to using a homebrew aggregate over ATC, especially one that includes ATC? Um, not part of the question. Love the pod. Hope the question doesn't read aggressively. I worry the character limit made it read meanly. I'm just curious. Now we get it. You're curious. It's a great question. 
because it make we kind of hinted at it earlier um, how it all breaks down. So Toby, Mister uh, Projections, the floor is yours. It was such a mean question. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. It it's very brilliant. thoughtful of him to throw that second email, just making sure it's clear. Um, so I think my thinking has evolved a little bit on this, and I'm going to try to like answer this one without, you know, rubbing any any people the wrong way as I as I kind of um, respond to this. So I think in the past, you know, a few years ago, even I would have just used ATC and I would have just kind of thrown it in there. And because it is an aggregate of projections, I would have used that. And I think ATC has been very successful, you know, over the long period of time at being a great, um, at being a projection system that, 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 that is an effective projection system. And so I think if that's something that you want to do, I think that, that, that is totally, um, cool. Um, you know, but I think my line of thinking on it has changed a little bit recently. I think, you know, there's a lot of different analyses on the various projection systems, strengths, weaknesses. And I think what kind of comes out in the wash of it is there are certain projection systems that, you know, tend to be a little bit better. Um, and then there, but, but they're all seem to fluctuate season to season. And I think there are also changes in the environment that even aren't even accounting for like the projection system in and of itself. And so one of the things about it is like ATC is an aggregate. And so it takes these, these, these kind of, it's like a, I don't know how to explain it, but like a second level projection in the sense that like there are people who create their individual projections and it tries to take the best of those. And I think in the way that it's framed, it's like, you know, like I was thinking about how to answer this question. And I think about it a little bit as, as like how we think about economics. Like, I feel like growing up, you think of economics as like a hard math where you're like, you know, there's, if this thing happens, then this thing happens, you know, but that's not the way that economics works. Like it's, it's just as much theory as anything else. Right. And so when you use the ATTC projection, you're essentially, you know, um, and again, like, it's one thing to say like, oh, well, I take the projections and I choose the ones that are the best at certain things. And I use those. And that assumes that, that the projections are static in terms of like how they're doing from year to year, or that one year will be similar to the subsequent year. And so, and that there isn't a perspective that is placed upon those projections to determine like which ones are the best ones. Like it's not, I don't think it's something where you can say very clearly and easily, this is the best one, or this is the best thing to take out, or, or it's not like there's a, there's a selection criteria or process that happens within that. And I think a really interesting, and one of the reasons why I think my like mind is evolving a little bit on this is one of the really interesting discussions on that pole hitter podcast that had like Jeff, you know, and Tanner and Phil and, and Steve. And thankfully I was included in that, even though I just showed up at the end and I really didn't say anything of any, of any merit was just like this idea of when you're aggregating projections, one of the things that you want to do is you want to have like as many inputs and as many perspectives as possible. You want the projections in and of themselves to be good projections, but you also don't, if all of them are the same, then you don't really benefit much from aggregation. And so what I'm trying to think about is how do I get a variety of different projections that all come from a different place, right? 
So if we look throughout the years and Jeff Zimmerman does this analysis, like at the rate stats, for instance. So if we take out plate appearances and we just say, which projections are best at determining rate stats, which ones are best at determining average, which are the best at determining counting stats, it fluctuates, right? And in, in many situations, like the bat X, you know, is um, at least I think in the 2021 one was the best projection system at that. It was actually the plate appearances that was the difference. Yep. Right. And then if you look at like the game theory approach that Jeff Zimmerman does, you know, oftentimes ATC and bad X are, are kind of at the top there, but they're not, they're good at different things. Yep. And so the way that I'm thinking about it now, more so than in the past is I want to kind of look at those first level projection systems. You know, I think the bad X is really good in the bat. I think that those are, it's, it's time in and time out. It's really good. The bad X for hitting the bat for pitching. I think they're very good. So I, I, I weigh that, you know, probably heavier than the other ones. I think steamer is also a very good projection system. And so I have steamer, you know, and I have part of that, but then also Raz, the Raz ball, uh, Rudy's projections take steamer as a base and then apply different plate appearances. And one thing I think is really good to get a lot of different perspectives on, and I think is really good to get ATC's perspective on because it's been really good at it is the plate appearance. Yep aspect of it. And I think you want to have as many, you want to have a lot of as many high quality inputs as you can on that. And so I definitely include that, you know, within um, ATC, but I want to look at, so you got the bat and then you have steamer and you have these different inputs in terms of what Raz is doing. And Rudy was even talking about, he's making some updates to it now to like the Babbitt formula for pitchers and he's putting his tweaks on it, but generally it's a system that I trust. So those are kind of two of them. And then there's also like, you know, um, there's Baseball HQ, which has a very different methodology to put way together. Different. Way different. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also Zips, you know, which does has a very different methodology. And Jeff was talking about this, that actually, you know, that that system is based on like, it essentially has comparison. So it looks at similar player seasons, similar ages, and it makes projections based on that. Now, it's not as effective as the other ones, but it's taking this data that isn't necessarily built into the other ones and it's incorporating it into this kind of meta projection. And so, you know, that's one that I'm really excited to be entering into it. And then I think ATC as well is a part of that for mine as well. But it's really hard because you don't know, like it's, it's, it's it, you know, again, and, and I have the most respect for Ariel, and I think he does a great job, and ATC is a great projection system, but it's kind of his perspective, right? And we don't really know how much of each projection system it's taking. And so it's really hard to know how much you're double counting and how much you aren't. And so that's why I'm struggling with having it be a huge weight within my projections. It makes a lot of this, sense this year. And so I'm really trying to take that kind of like, let's take, um, you know, I'm going to have zips in there, you know, baseball HQ steamer, um, the bat, bat X, you know, and then I'm going to have ATC in there and I've got to figure out cause Tanner's spreadsheet only, only has five. So I've got to figure out which one I, I drop or don't weigh in there, but I want to take those systems that take a different approach because you know, I think generally they're going to get you to the right place and having as many inputs as possible in that type of a projection system is something that will benefit it. And it would be really interesting to take that meta projection and compare mm. it to how the other projection systems do it. But I think we all have kind of our own way of fine tuning that and modifying the, you know, SGPs just to maybe account for maybe our playing styles or, or different elements of, of, of the season or how we think it's going to go. So I don't know if that's a super good explanation, but I think the way that I think of it is I want to have a wisdom of the crowds 
And while ATC in, of an, in and of itself is that because it melds those different projection systems, it is still the perspective of one person who is doing the melding, if you will. And so that's why I'm kind of trying to take in a lot more data inputs and perspectives in the different projection systems that I'm using. Because honestly, the one that I trust the most is probably the bad X and the bat and then ATC for the playing time projections. And so, um, you know, and so it's kind of like, yeah, I feel pretty good weighing those ones heavily. Um, but the bat is already using, I think ATCs or it will end up using ATCs playing time projections like it did last year. And so I think some of that's already baked into it. So hopefully that's like a decent explanation. And, and again, I don't mean to be critical at all of um, you. You weren't critical. I'm going to tell yeah, you that right now. Okay. You, you, you said it. Very, you said it really nicely because the way you build this out, which makes sense, is you want weights towards different things. And so aerial system is really great, but you don't know how it's weighted already. So you could be misweighting it when you do it. That's what you said, basically, in a roundabout way. There's nothing critical about that. That's just honest. Like because and he'd have to admit that too, is because he says it. He says he does his own little tweaking and his own weightings and stuff and. You don't want to with if you were to weight it heavily and this thing's already weighted heavily. Now you're overweighting something and that could screw up your whole thing. So no, you, to me at least, that's how I understood you saying it. That did not come off uh, critical at all. That was just honest. And I I would uh, imagine Ariel, who's a very very uh, understanding person, would completely get that because he's making projections and that's the same thing. He doesn't want to overweight something as well. So that just makes sense to me. But yeah. my question for you. This is not. This is nothing crazy because I. This, wasn't, you this said, wasn't on the agenda. No, everything. No, every everything you said made total sense. I just wanted to add on to that real quick. Um, and this is again, you just said Tanner's sheet only allows five projections, so it's kind of difficult. Have you ever thought about using um, was it Master Ball with Zola? Because I know a lot of guys use that one as well. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, I I I'm uh. I don't, I don't have access to it. Um, I'm not, I'm not a subscriber. You need to be a subscriber. Yeah. And I have been a subscriber. I was a subscriber one year. He was very, Todd was very kind and, um, and offered. So he, won, he won TGFBI. He gave everybody in TGFBI. Yeah, a free gave it, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and again, like, I mean, and, and I know really smart people use his projection as part of their aggregate as well. So again, not a criticism of that. Um, I think that's a great system and a lot of really successful players use it. If I had access to it, I certainly would um, probably include that as an input. But um, yeah, getting the weighting is so difficult, you know, because yeah. I do think there are certain systems that you trust a lot. Um, and I think that's why, you know, ATC is helpful in some respects in the sense that like, you know, people have a lot of faith in in Arial to, um, to pick that right, you know, combination of of, of the projections I, I think I, I think what would be great because for what you're using with the weighting systems it makes total sense where you don't maybe want to weight ATC a ton now if you're just looking at someone's fangrass page like I do a lot or someone else does you maybe use ATC more so because it is factoring everything in and it makes more sense I'm with you like I love ATCs at bats I look at it to me the bad X is the game of choice for me when all things are considered, but ATC is very, very good. And you mentioned it, they, they work together because uh, parts of ATC has the bat and the bat X in it. Eventually, um, you know, Cardi is going to use ATC's plate appearances. Like it's, it's kind of a, a yin and a yang situation, which is fun. So I'm with you on that one. I guess the last thing is because I don't want to make the whole podcast about, I guess, um, projection systems, but it, it kind of leads on to maybe what other questions could come from this. 
like the last thing you do or one of the last things you do after you meld them all together, you weight them all, you might adjust a few things. Um, how, and that's where everyone's like secret sauce comes different. It's like everyone kind of sees it differently. Like I said earlier in the GTE chat, I've been listening to Curlin and those guys talk about how they're trying to like, you know, give someone more at bats or this or that or the other. It's a fun conversation and there's probably no rhyme or right reason to it. How do you go about that? I guess it's because you've done it for a long, like a few years now. So you kind of have a rough idea how you want to go about it, but how do you go about it for someone that might be starting out their first year of trying to do this? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Well, I generally don't do plate appearance adjustments. The one plate appearance adjustment I did last year was for Dalton Varsho. Yeah, so that, was too, gave, that was too obvious. <laughs> yeah. So I think he was at like 400 plate appearances and I gave him five, 500. I want to say something like that or 550. Um, this year I've only done it for one player and that's Lars Newt Bar, um, where he's coming in at about 450 plate appearances. And I think I feel comfortable giving him 550 um, because I think he's a really good player. I think the Cardinals like him a lot. And I think, um, I think he, he probably hit, you know, hits towards the top of the lineup against righties at least. So yeah. um, I feel pretty good about that. And I think that the valuation that I have in my system with him at 450 is just totally off. Like I just, I don't agree with it. So that's like one, but I make, I would, I will make very few plate appearance adjustments just because I think wisdom of the crowds and getting as many inputs on that as possible is, is kind of a better um, tactic um, if you will. Um so I think one way that you can do it is like you have your SGP. So essentially like um, how many runs or RBI or batting average points is a standard standings game point. And you can play with those numbers to account for different things. For instance, like last year, which was probably a reason why I struggled offensively was I, I looked at it and I said, you want to know something? What I'm more, the thing that I'm most worried about is being short in steals and batting average. So what I want to do is bump up a little bit the value of batting average and steals and knock down a little bit the value of home runs. Gotcha. So when I did that, like theoretically, I was like, oh, well, this is great. Well, I did that and then home runs dried up. And so I was even underweighting home runs in and of themselves, right? And so that became a, like a really big, challenge. So I see that being a little bit more difficult, you know, this year. But if you were to say, for instance, I don't think the projection systems are baking in enough steals. Like I think there's going to be a X percent stealing across the board. These players are going to be better Then you may say, you want to know something? I think I can devalue steals a little bit within the SGP. So make more steals. So like right now, I think this year it's like 4.4 steals is a standing game point. So maybe you say, okay, I'm going to change that to uh, five steals, you know? So I'm going to make it so, um, or I'm going to make it four. Um, I'm going to make it like, uh, I'm God, I'm confusing my own self. Like I'm going to make them be worth less. So yeah, essentially, they're not, they're not make, it's heavy. yeah, they're going to bump them up. Um, so like more, it requires more to get a standings game point. point. Yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah, so you can do things like that, or I think the ball is going to bounce back a little bit. Well, then home runs are overvalued as it is. So you want to devalue them, you know, a little bit. And so I think those are the types of changes that you can make to the, 
to the SGP to account for that. Now, one other thing that you could do too is, you know, when you are calculating um, like the rate stats, like batting average and things like that, you could also bake in a change there. So like you always get the league average um, batting average, right? That's kind of where you build off of, um, you know, in terms of above or below standing game points. And so it's like, okay, well, if I think that batting average is going to be higher this year and the projections are not accurately accounting for that increase, well, then I could either adjust the SGP to make it so that they devalued batting average a little bit, or I could change what the the kind of median line for, um, you know, what replacement value is essentially for batting average level is in your in your sheet. And so you can kind of make those types of tweaks to that will not dramatically depending on how much you change them, but can change the valuation systems, you know, a little bit. And then there are other things that you can do within it in Tanner's spreadsheet where you can change um, the, the hitter pitcher split and that can have a dramatic difference. So if you're like, you know, traditionally it's been around 67 to 33 is typically what it's been at. You know, NFBC main events are closer to like 62 or 61. Sometimes I put it all the way down to 60. But what can happen there is if if your values are widely different from the market, then you can find yourself in a situation where, yeah, you're taking a bunch of values, but you're so off of the market that, you know, that you're taking them like, they will be trying to think of of a good way to say this. Um, You'll be missing out essentially because you, because you're, you're, yeah, exactly. You're not factoring in the market in terms of where you're taking guys. And, you know, there's different perspectives on that. Like I know that that's obvious, honestly, like oftentimes an argument against taking catchers early on, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like the fact that it's not aligned with kind of the market and how it values catchers. Um, which is a totally reasonable thing to say. Um, so anyway, so I think there's different approaches and you got to account for it. Generally, I try not to mess with it too much because I think that's when you can get into like challenges. You can also factor in things like, generally, I feel like I always have too many steals and I don't have enough homers. Well, then maybe you want to devalue steals and you know bump up the value of homers a little bit in the, in the, in the, in, in how you take a look at it. So that's kind of like, I think the, what you're thinking about as you develop the spreadsheet and kind of make it your own. And that's why like people could plug in the same valuation, the same projection systems at the same weights. And the spreadsheet also allows you to choose the weight, you know, essentially. So it's like, um, you know, 0.4 bad X, 0.4 this, 0.2 this, 0.0015 this, if you really wanted to wanted to. So that's why like, even with this, using the same projections, you will sometimes get different valuations for players is because the different hitter pitcher split or different SGP formulas. So it's really hard to get the exact same spreadsheet unless you run it the exact way that Tanner has set it up, which, you know, you can definitely do that. And I think it's a super valuable tool doing that, but I think learning how to adapt it is also a good, a good thing to, to learn. I love it. That was a nice little crash course there. And, um, I recommend checking out the process goes deep into these things. The projections, how to tweak them to your likings and whatnot. And uh, obviously Tanner is a part of that. And Tanner has his spreadsheets you can get and pretty self-explanatory once he sends you all that stuff too. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's very interesting stuff. And 
is a nice way to kind of customize it to the way you like it, but also not going crazy because you still have to kind of fall within the boundaries of the projection, if that makes sense. Like you can't just go, you can go wacky, but if you do that, you're not going to be successful. That's just, you're crazy, but you can still kind of make it to what you need, what you like, your style, but still kind of be fine-tuned with the projection and keeps you uh, within a range of you know, outcomes that make sense, I guess, if that makes any sense at all. So I, I like it quite a bit. All right, we got one other question for you here from our buddy Dave Petroziello. Of, uh, and it's a Corbin Carroll question. He says, I'm iffy on Corbin Carroll at his price, but did you guys see the tweet? Uh, and I'm not sure if it from someone we know. It was like two or three weeks ago, but the tweet said, with the new rules, he should steal 40 bases. Well, if he does that, he's current, uh, his current price, if he steals, is pretty obvious. I think we're both kind of curious about that price. We weren't really in on him at his current price. I don't know if he steals 40 bags, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that is, um, I think that's way too high. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that I think is important is oftentimes like a criticism of projections is that they're too conservative and, you know, projections are, they're median projections. So like it's the median expectation. If there were a hundred seasons, you know, and you put them all together, this is, you know, the, this is the most likely season to happen, you know, they're, they're median projections. And I think the challenge is when you start doing things like Corbin Carroll is going to steal 40 bases. Generally, when you do that, you're, you don't just do that for Corbin Carroll. Like you have an, a mentality that, Oh, these projections are conservative. And as a result, you know, they're, they're under guessing all the guys that I like and that I think are going to be really good. And the nice thing about a projection system is you have 14 players in your lineup. And so the projection system and the way they work, it's like regression to the mean, you know, it's like of those 14 projections, some of them will be wildly off. Some of them will be pretty on target. Some of them will be over, some of them will be under, but the most likely outcome is towards all of those stats that you're counting that are within the projection. And that's why I love doing that within a draft is is that that actually gives me a pretty good sense of my team as a whole, where its strengths are, where its weaknesses are, what I can expect from it. And that accounts for some players being better, some players being worse. And it's think it's a really good way. Like our biases are strong, you know, like the, every bias, bias you could imagine ha- operates in fantasy baseball. And so one way to kind of take that out a little bit of the equation, not entirely right. Cause we want to have fun um, is, is projection systems. You know, it's a good check. It doesn't mean you can't be excited about a player or think they're going to be doing really well, and maybe you have that one player, you know, like maybe for me, it's Lars Newbar, where I'm like, I'm giving him 550 plate appearances and that makes him the 110th best player. And I'm going to go for that. And I think that's fine. And I think that's great. The problem is when you apply that to all of the different players, because then you're essentially just choosing who is going to, who you think is your going biases to come into play way too much. Yeah. Exactly. And which again, like is totally fine. Like that's a totally fine way to play the game. But for me in the way that I'm thinking about it, you know, you're trying to eliminate those things from it. And some people call that fun, Bubba. 
Yeah, I agree. I just I call agree. it biases. Yep, it's it, it's weird. That's what really, really, really makes this whole thing fun as it's developed. Like when I first started doing even these podcasts, like projections were there, but they weren't as deep as they are now. There wasn't a lot of guys with spreadsheets. There wasn't a lot of that stuff. And that wasn't even that long ago. Um, so how far it's already come in, in that amount of time. And it's very valid. Like I, I joke about, I couldn't even tell you what baseball savant was when I started. And now, you know, you got those, you got projection sites, you got everything. And that it's still very fun. And it's just, they're great tools to use. And um, they can be intimidating because trust me, I'm a guy that struggles with Excel. Like I'm horrible at Excel, but if you have the time, it's worth it. If it's, if you don't have the time, well, they use the projections and there's, there's places you can get projections like that from, if you pay a couple bucks, like Rudy's got a great setup, uh, HQ's great. Like there, there's, there's ways to do it if you don't want to do it yourself, but the point is you can do it yourself. And it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool setup that'll, I think, take you to the next level if you can do it the right way. Cause it, it, it brings certain things to life that doesn't make sense. Like I keep referencing the, the GTE guys, but it's the first year they're doing it. So it's funny watching them kind of talk through it all. And when they run their, with the, when they upload like a new projection into their thing with their ratings and, and weights, it, um, there's always a couple guys like, Oh man, this guy stands out or this guy, or like they did, they just like Simeon, like again, he, I don't think he cares if I say these things, but literally just did his first draft since using the setup now with all, with all the, he, wait, he waited like you wait till all the projections were in. And he did his first draft, and he drafted almost strictly off the, the spreadsheet, like straight up. He's like, this is awesome. Like, I'm doing things and like I didn't do before because it's just like it kind of brings the whole puzzle together a little better. And obviously, there's not going to always work perfectly. That's, that's obvious. But it, it, all, it still highlights a lot of things, too. And so that was very uh, interesting hearing them talk about it from a first-timer thing. So, again, my point, you can be new to this. Take your t- It took them a lot of time, a long time to figure it out. Like the three of them together – a lot of text messaging back and forth, but once they got it figured out, they've really, really enjoyed it. So it's a cool setup. For sure. And I think one th- thing that's really nice about getting the dollar value too, is that if I were to say, all right, Bubba, you could have a player who's hitting 265 with 20 homers and five steals, or you could have a guy who's hitting 280 with 18 homers and three steals. Who do you want more? And you could be like, I mean, there's ways to think about it outside of giving it a numerical value, but having a numerical value can tell you, you know, as long as you agree with the process that you went through it, like which player is more valuable. So you're not like, well, I think it's that one, or I think it's that one. And there's other ways to do it, right? You could just say, well, I value batting average more and I think I can make up those home runs. So I'm going to go with that guy, but it's really nice for player comparisons because it's like, yeah, you need something to tell you outside of like your intuition what is a more valuable player in a lot of instances, right? Because it's like that's a that's an easier example. Another one could be a guy who's hitting 290 with 10 home runs and 10 steals or a guy who's hitting 210 with 30 home runs, you know, and zero steals. You know? Like who's more valuable? I have no freaking clue. So, yep. but my spreadsheet tells me. Yep. No, it's a great point because, like, yeah, we could all have arguments on why we could both be right in a roundabout way. But in the end, you look at the dollar sign, and that just tells you right there if you trust your system that you built. It's pretty, pretty cool setup to to watch it all kind of come together and uh, and do all that. So, fun conversation, great question. Um, I, I enjoy this stuff because I'm, I'm I understand it a lot more than I ever did. I still can't put it to a computer because it's 
time consuming for me to figure out, but I, I, I'm getting there. It's close. Like, but it's fun to watch people do it. Cause I understand it now and it makes a ton of sense, a ton of sense. And um, I think it's one of those things is I'm like, they use the term adapt or die type thing. That's not the way this is going to work, but it definitely helps a ton. It helps a lot, especially like when you're in a draft room and there's an actual clock and you're on a timer, be able to have that spreadsheet sitting right there helps you make those quick decisions a lot easier. So um, I like it. I'm curious to see how Toby, um, his like first drafts or first drafts start going using his, you know, he's, he's worked on the projections. He's made a point to stay diligent and wait until it's all done. So now he'll get to get going. I'm curious to see how it goes with the, the first runs of this. We'll see. We'll see when that gets started. I'm trying yeah. to think I, I want to do fast drafts, but maybe I'll do one slow DC in December. Test it all out. Yeah, just to get back in the swing of things and then do a couple express DCs or something like that before hopping into the to the real thing. So we'll see. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, we'll go back to how we started the show. Any thoughts on the outfield position? <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think there are pockets of 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 um, value. And I think, again, like we talked about this a little bit the first time, but, you know, I think oftentimes we're so fixated on filling, you know, our outfield one slot by X player or things like that. When like the real thing that's important is, um, you know, depending on the league, building a balanced team and picking, getting the most value out of those players, right. Regardless of what their position is. And so, if it means having a weak outfield and your infield is super strong, then, you know, that's great. If it, if it's means having a strong second baseman and a weak outfielder, you know, then, then that's another thing. So I think it's all just, it's all relative value to one another and not, you know, pigeonholing ourselves because I do think there are nice little pockets there that we did some of which we discussed and some that we didn't, you know, where, where there are guys who are available who look like they're, undervalued right now by the market. And I think that's the, the key is to identify those and, and to try to take advantage of them. Yep. Most definitely. If you guys have any further questions on the outfield, let us know. We can help you, but there is a hundred percent, another pocket coming up. That's like a 12 ish home run, 10 to 12 stolen base pocket of guys coming up. So there's another one of those, like I said, it's not as many much power as we already saw, but there's still another little realm of guys you can pick through uh, towards the end of the 100s and, and the early 200s as well. So if you have any questions, let us know. Uh, check out Toby on Twitter, at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Entrick. We'll be back with you guys next week as we head to the mound. We head to starting pitchers, Toby, as we've finished offense. So now it gets fun. This is Toby's wheelhouse. Pocket aces season. We'll see. But uh, we'll catch you guys next week. This was Read them and weep, preview. baby. Read them and weep. Read them and weep. Pocket aces with the catcher. <laughs> catch you guys later. That's going to wrap us up for episode 240 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, in addition, number 144 of Bubba and the Batflip. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Hope you enjoyed that one. Went a little long this time, but uh, hopefully the ending was at least uh, enjoyable and, and that you uh, found the two-part outfield podcast uh, preview uh, interesting as well. So thanks, as always, for listening. Best of luck with your fantasy baseball research and fantasy baseball drafts. Take care and be kind to one another.